Well, those are really kind words, uh, really kind words indeed. Uh, Robert means a lot to me, so his words uh, have special meaning to me. But uh, I'm admittedly a terrible compliment receiver. Uh, so hard right turn, let's get into this message, okay? <laughs> a buddy of mine went flying recently, came back kind of bragging. Not like a humble brag, but kind of like a brag brag. He says, Nick, I found this cheap flight. He said, I found this really cheap flight. It cost me 44 bucks to fly across the country. 44 bucks. I'm like, real? Is that like a real flight? Like a real plane or a paper? And I said, no, a jet plane, the works. Man, we have peanuts. 44 bucks. It was a good deal. So I'm curious. I like, still don't believe him. I'm like, I'm impressed. That's like the cheapest flight I've ever heard. $44. So tell me, man, how much did it cost to fly your bags? And he said, well, he started stuttering. He said, well, um, well, well, um, turns out it costs $44 to fly a live human being across the country, but it costs $55 to fly his bags. Like, I'm curious, Jesus said you're worth more than sparrows, but I don't get that math. That doesn't add up to me. I don't understand that. It begs the question, how much are you worth? How much weight do you carry in society? What's your value? What do you do when your value is not what you need it to be? Maybe you're like me. You do some stuff to try to add value. We got to justify our existence. We got to prove ourselves to show that we belong, that we're good enough to make the team. That's what we do. We prove ourselves. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Approval. We're going to be in Matthew 6 verses 1 through 4. I encourage you to go ahead and turn there while I frame it up a little bit. I'm going I'm to show you what approval is not, what it is, and then when it becomes a real issue. What approval is not? It's not words of affirmation. Affirmation is when we declare that something is true. So words of affirmation are when we declare positive truths about someone or something. These are good things. Do these. I mean, they're so good they devoted an entire love language to this stuff. These are good things. Speak words of blessing to people and do it often. Real quick, fathers, Don't let a day go by that you don't tell your son that you're proud of him, that you're his biggest fan, that you love him. Don't let a day go by without telling your daughter that she's your princess. She's the most beautiful girl on the face of the planet, and that you love her. Speak these truths. Affirm these truths in them. Don't let a a day go by without speaking words of blessing over your family. Affirmation is based on the truths of who we are. Affirm these to people. But approval is different. It's different. It's based on what you do. Approval is a grant of permission. It's acknowledging that someone or something has met some standard. It's met some requirement, and you give it the stamp of approval. It's a longing. It's a craving to be accepted or desired. It's about giving weight, value, honor, glory to someone or something. And here is when approval becomes an issue. When approval is substituted for love, it can become an addiction to avoid the pain of rejection. And at the root of this is broken relationship. In fact, the authors of a great book that I highly recommend, it's called When Helping Hurts, they actually define poverty in these same terms. They define poverty as broken relationship between God, self, and others. When I need the approval of others, self, or God so much that I would work to get it, then I have set the need for approval above God in my heart. That is an issue. 
When approval is an issue, our relationships become impoverished. So what happens when you're not valued, when you're unworthy? Many of us do things, often great things to mask over, to cover up something that's missing in our hearts. We work to get approval to fill that void. And so craving for approval becomes a mask for what's missing. Who holds the most weight in your life? What or who do you worship really? What relationship matters the most in your life? When we seek the approval of man, our worship gets reoriented from the one true God, and so we wind up living in prison to what other people think about us. Enter the master teacher, Jesus. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and put it up, but let's pray before we read. Father, thank you for your word. You change the universe by your word. You uphold the universe by the word of your power. You can change our hearts. You can uplift our hearts with your word. God, thank you that you still speak. So Father, I pray that we would hear your voice today. I ask that you would speak today. I ask that your word would be heavy and you would minister truth and grace to your people this morning. Amen. Let's read. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In the passage right before this, Jesus is focusing on the teaching of the law, what people believe. Here, he shifts his focus to the practice of the law, what people do. And what's interesting is people can see what you do, and that's enticing. It's really hard for them to see what you believe. So Jesus begins this stretch of Scripture with a warning, beware. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. He's telling us to watch out. Pay attention, be on guard, and he's taking direct aim at the heart. Jesus is taking aim at the motive for the good deeds, not the method of them. Righteous deeds, good deeds, they aren't bad. They are good works, after all. It's the motive for doing them that matters. Jesus is concerned with the heart to be seen. That's the misplaced motive that he's looking at here, to be seen. And that word there, let's put it up. Looks like our word for theater, theiamai. Looks like our word for theater. It means to make a show. So, Jesus is saying, beware of doing good things to be noticed, to show off. This form of religion is like a play. It's acting. It's simply a performance designed to make a certain impression on a certain audience. So let me ask, who are you acting for? Who's your audience? Who are you trying to prove yourself to? When you strip your worship down to the bare core, who's left standing? What relationship matters the most to you, really? Jesus exposes who matters most in our lives by showing us who we're trying to prove ourselves to. When our motives are misplaced, we tend to crave approval in one of three key relationships. To others, to ourselves, to God. First point. Proving yourself to others. We're going to be in verse 2 here. When we crave approval from others, we do things in public to hide what's missing 
in private. Jesus begins with doing good works with others in mind here, so the approval of the other is in plain view right here in verse 2. And there's a big ironic contrast here between the public and the private, between the seen and the unseen. These guys are doing good stuff. They're doing really good stuff. They're doing it in public, but they're doing it in a way that hides something that's missing in private. So when you're in the synagogue, when you're in the street, when you're in the public places, the public forum, sound no trumpet before you. Don't toot your own horn. The hypocrites do that. Don't be a hypocrite, Jesus says. Back then, we know this. A lot of us know this. Back then, hypocrites were actors. They were pretenders. They were professional performers. They wore a mask that exaggerated or over-dramatized a certain role to make a point to the audience that they were before. Quite literally, hypocrites would mask over or cover up their true identity with a show, with a performance, with their own work. Check this out. Jesus talks about hypocrisy, hypocrisy elsewhere too. In Luke 12, 1, he calls it leaven. Matthew 23, 27, he calls it whitewashed tomb. Luke eleven forty four, a concealed tomb. Matthew 13, 25, tares amidst wheat. And Matthew 7, 15, wolves and sheep's clothing. Each of these examples are clearly negative, and each deals with covering or hiding the true nature of the thing. They are hiding in plain sight. They're putting some good deeds in front of people, and they're hiding right behind them. They are masking over what's missing, and here's why they do that. Jesus tells us their motive. He gets right to it. He says they're tooting their own horn. Their, 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 their motive is to be praised by others. So their purpose is their praise. And that word is telling too, very telling. It means to receive glory, to make renowned, to increase the work of something, to make it heavy. They're missing something. They're not measuring up. So they're trying to add value to themselves by their own works so that they may be praised. But Jesus says they have received their reward. They're parading their piety before others to get applause. Jesus gives a little golf clap. Good. That's cool. Not bad. Got some praise, but it's over. It's gone. Poof. There it goes. But you know what's not gone? The lust for more of it. So Jesus says, beware. When we give to get the praise of man, our only reward will be that which man can give. Self-glory is always short-sighted. There's this story of an old holy man in the Far East, and he had this habit of covering himself with ashes. He'd cover himself with ashes, and he would regularly sit on the most prominent street corner in town. And so when tourists would come by, they'd want to take a picture with him, he'd oblige. But before he'd allow the picture to be taken, he would move his ashes. He would rearrange the ashes so as to give off the best image of his humility, his destitution, his poverty. One pastor comments on this saying, a great deal of religion amounts to nothing more than rearranging religious ashes to impress the world with one's supposed humility and devotion. Problem here though, guys, problem is, is that humility is a sham and the devotion is to himself and it's not to God. He's not a holy man. He's a straw man. He's hiding the truth about his real humility with an outward show. We do this. We do this too. We crave the approval of others, fearing their rejection and their disapproval. We need the acceptance of others, so we put on. 
we add value to appear better because we need praise, we crave approval. So we cover ourselves with good works. See if any of these land. Constantly overcommitting. Shading the, ref- the truth and refusing to tell how we really feel about an issue. Failing to set boundaries with others. Susceptibility to peer pressure. Fear of being exposed. Avoiding people. Comparing yourself to others. And fear of talking about Jesus. Hey, did you know that the number one reason why college students who feel called to go to the mission field don't go. Student debt's number two. Number one is family. Family peer pressure. Parental approval is the number one reason why young people who feel the call of God to go stay put. Approval is keeping us stuck. And perhaps it's keeping the gospel from going forward. Like the holy man, we mask up with false humility, but Jesus offers us real relationship with his own humiliation at the cross. Jesus is the glory of the Father. That word glory means weight. So Jesus shows us the full weight and character and nature of God himself. Are you giving more weight to what Jesus thinks of you or more weight to what others think of you? This is the language of worship, which comes from the words worth and shape, worth and shape to worship means not only to ascribe worth to something, but to allow that thing to shape you. God shapes us as we ascribe worship, weight, glory, honor, approval to him. The big issue here is that the gospel is all up in this. It's all up in this. When we try to impress by our good works, we're saying, in effect, the cross wasn't good enough. What Jesus did on the cross was good, but I need to finish the job to be accepted by the, by the one whose opinion really matters to me. And so we mask up to prove ourselves to others. Check out what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Look, in Christ, you are already approved. Already. You don't have to do anything else to get that. It's yours so you can work from a place of approval rather than working for it. When we seek the approval of others, we're often masking over an incomplete relationship in our hearts. Second point, proving yourself to yourself. We're in verse three here. When we seek our own approval, we set the standard for what's really good enough. Jesus shifts here. He changes from public praise to private praise. Note the emphasis on you in verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This was a figure of speech back then. Figure of speech. We get this too. The right hand was considered the dominant strong hand of action. It's a strong hand. We get this, whether you're right-handed or left-handed. Often, as a matter of course, in the regular course of your day, your dominant strong hand does a lot of stuff that doesn't involve your off hand. So Jesus is saying here, in other words, doing good stuff like giving, meeting needs, these should be normal for the follower of Jesus. Just don't toot your horn. Do them discreetly. Do them simply. The purpose here is so that your giving may be in secret. Jesus says, don't announce your good deeds in public. Don't even announce them to yourself. Why? What's he talking about? When we seek our own approval, we set the standard for what's really good enough. We 
put ourselves in the place of the king in our lives. And that usually leads to two things, rationalization or deep shame as we fail to meet those unreasonable and unrealistic standards and expectations that we set for ourselves. Let's be clear though, real quick. Let's be clear. Jesus is not saying that doing good stuff in front of people is bad. Matter of fact, it's good, really good. He says to do it. Chapter before, Matthew 5, 16, we know this. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So where's the direction of the light pointing? To yourself, to others, or to the Father who's in heaven? Robert mentioned on the nice intro that this was a big week for the Crawford House. Big week. We celebrated 10 years of anniversary, and at the same time, we celebrated the, the, the seven-year-old birthday of my young son, Coy, with some laser tag. I don't know how y'all guys celebrate anniversaries, but that's how we do it in our house. I got the scar to prove it. A little six-year-old hit me with the butt of his gun, cut my face. Man, I was all up in it. That's how we celebrate. A little laser tag. Ten years anniversary, big deal. Give me some laser tag. Now, here's what you need to know about me, though. I am not a good gift giver. Poor Kristen. I'm, I'm terrible at it. I didn't get that gift. I'm not a good gift giver, but I am a very good rule follower. Okay? Good rule follower. So when it comes to anniversary gifts, man, I like that. It's easy. Standard set for me. It's already, I Google, what is it? I, I buy that, right? Hey, newlyweds, year one, you need to know this. It's the paper anniversary, paper anniversary. So for our first year anniversary, man, I want to get her something nice. I want to get her some good paper. You know what I'm saying? Like some stationery. I walk down to the paper store, man, I, I like weigh it out in my hand. I want the thick paper, the weighty stuff, like I know what I'm doing. So I bought her some good paper. Well, that wasn't enough. She wanted more paper. She got more paper. She got a mortgage. Girl got a house. Fast forward year three, that's the leather anniversary. I like that one. Smells good, kind of manly, rugged, resilient. Well, a leather gift wasn't good enough for either. So she got a firstborn son. How manly does that get? Hmm? Continuing the line. That's what I'm talking about. That's some security, right? Fast forward year 10. It's the 10 anniversary, like metal. So I run around town looking for, I don't know, gutters and roofing supplies or something like that. She was running around too. She was just making a long shopping list at some local jewelry stores. Mama won. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, and here's the deal. When I set the standard really low, when she sets the standard really high, and that's the problem. When we prove ourselves to ourselves, we become the standard. And we set the bar too high or too low. When we set the standard too low, we rationalize we water down the standard. What's really good enough anyway? We live in a culture that celebrates the instant and measurable like. It's the same back then too. Same back then in the context that this passage was written. Same thing. Looked a little bit, bit, bit different, but it's the same thing. You see, giving was not a silent act back then. No, you brought your coins into this place and you dumped it into a big metal bucket. But here's the trick. You could increase the noise of your giving with more effort. More noise, more impressive you were, right? More impressive you were, more approval you got. The Pharisees would come in like the real goat, Michael Jordan. They'd be slam dunking coins in that bucket. We do the same. We do the same when we cheapen our content to get more likes. Or if a post doesn't get enough likes or enough of the right likes, you take it down. 
You delete it. You can't have uh, unlikable posts just lingering out there to, she, to, to show how average it really is. Can't do that. But who sets the standard there? Who's the one telling you if it's likable enough? You. I mean, 10 likes to me is probably like 1,000 likes to somebody else. You know, I don't get a lot, a lot of likes. But we set the standard. So let me ask, to what degree do you suffer from approval addiction? Are you letting your likes dictate your worth? Do you know how many followers you have and how much do you really care? On the other hand, that's too low. On the other hand, when we set the standard too high, we create unrealistic standards and we experience deep shame when we fail to meet them. This is kind of where I live. This is kind of where I play ball here. So when we mess up, we might hear things like stupid, idiot, failure. Let me just say, that is not the voice of the father. The good father does not speak words of condemnation over his children. That is not his voice, church. One of my biggest fears is letting myself down. Letting myself down is failing to live up to my own expectations. Now, by God's grace, I'm getting better at this, but in the past, man, I couldn't bear the thought of being a failure. And my ego still takes a hit when I mess up, and I mess up a lot, so this is kind of a tough spot for me. Problem is, all this means is that I am viewing my sin as primarily an offense against me, and that is a hard truth. Instead, We should all be comparing ourselves to Jesus, finding that we fall way short of him and his standard of glory and understanding that we are in desperate need for a savior. When we seek the approval of others, we set the standard for what's good enough and we take the place of the true king of our lives. Last point, proving yourself to God. Verse four, when we seek to earn God's approval, we wind up viewing our relationship with him in a transactional sense. We worship his hand for what he can do for us while entirely missing his face that smiles on his children. The father is in view right here in verse four. Let your giving be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. God sees in secret. Hebrews 4, 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Y'all remember the rich young ruler? Y'all remember the story of the rich young ruler? He shows us the danger of a transactional relationship with God. This guy had it all together. I mean, just think of the adjectives that describe him. Rich, young, ruler. Who doesn't want to be that guy? Influence. Talk. He had followers, okay? He's also extremely good and extremely moral. He is the ultimate rule follower. But something was missing in his heart. So when he hears about Jesus, he runs up to Jesus and flatters. Good teacher, what must I do, do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He needs Jesus to tell him that he's good, that he has earned his ticket into heaven. He's seeking to prove himself by his works. If he can just get this amazing teacher, Jesus, to declare that he's kept all the commandments, what greater stamp of approval could he get than that? So he leads. He leads with his Ivy League resume. I've kept all the commandments, Jesus, another golf clap. Good, not bad, it's good. You've kept all the commandments, but go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. You see, this guy lacked one thing. He lacked one thing. He lacked 
the ability to see the beauty and the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He's worshiping the hand of God. What could Jesus do for me? This is a transactional relationship. What could you do for me kind of relationship? But God sees in secret, so Jesus sees his heart and he pressed on it. Again, go sell all. This guy couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. So when Jesus asked him to give that up, go and sell all, wouldn't do it wouldn't do it. When the rich young ruler realized that he couldn't do something to earn God's approval, he got sad. The rich young ruler saw Jesus and he turned away. A transactional relationship with God is no relationship at all. But there will be a future reward for those who truly believe that God is who he says he is. God will not miss giving a single reward. He knows our hearts. He knows our attitudes. He knows our intentions. He knows our motives. And look, it is not wrong to anticipate and expect those good rewards that the good father gives to his children. It's not wrong. We just got to do so humbly and with gratitude, knowing that God's rewards show us his grace to the undeserving. We can meet his merciful requirements. We just can't earn them. Check out this picture. Isn't that great? And that, that, that's like art to me. That is like art to me. It shows us like the purity of what baseball really is. Like he's having a good time, man. I love that. That's my son. And, and what you need to know, that's a candid picture of my son, Coy. He's, in this picture, he's playing for an audience of one. He really has no idea that this picture is being taken. That's just him. Fun, full of joy, happy, doing his thing, playing ball. But here's what you don't see. You don't see this. A few innings later, he starts noticing who's in the stands. Starts noticing who's in the stands. Gets a hit, runs the bases, scores the run, runs up to the fence and announces, are you proud of me? Mm. Can't tell you what that did to my heart. Can't tell you what that did to my heart. But I can tell you my fear is, is that my guy loves playing baseball because he knows that I love baseball, that he's playing the game to get my love, to get my approval. But buddy, you are loved whether you hit a home run, whether you strike out. You're loved if you play baseball, checkers, or tiddlywink. He can't get enough hits to earn my love. He's already got it. And the beauty, church, the beauty of the kingdom of God is that it's an upside-down kingdom where we don't have to work to earn our approval. Instead, we work from the love and approval of our heavenly Father. Our reward is the love of the Father. Our reward is that we get to be with God. But sometimes we can be like the rich young ruler. We we can worship God's hand. What can he do for us rather than worship his face and who he is to us? Now, we probably wouldn't admit this. Probably wouldn't admit it. But when we do this, what we're really saying is, I don't want God to have to work hard to accept me. I want to help him out. I want to be acceptable to God on the basis of my own merit. Deep down, we all have a desire to justify or prove our worth. We want to be seen by God and others as successful and worthy. But the reality is right here is that there is nothing we can do to earn God's love. All the while, God's telling you, in my love, I gave my son for you. He's done everything needed to secure my blessing. I love you as you are, and I accept you in him. God doesn't love his children anymore 
or any less than he does right now. Indeed, Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, approval is not something we earn. Approval is something God gives. So as the band comes up, let me ask you, are you living for the Father's approval or are you living from it? The real issue with proving ourselves to God, others, or ourselves is this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We might fool others. We might even fool ourselves from time to time. But when we seek approval, whether from others, ourselves, or God, what we're really trying to do is cover ourselves. We've really been playing this game since the, really, since the very beginning, too. Y'all remember Adam and Eve, what they did when sin entered the world? What'd they do? What'd they do? They fashioned clothes. They covered up. And what'd they do? They went and hid in the woods. They went and hid from God in the woods. But what did he do? He drew them out of their hiding with a gracious word, with questions. He didn't condemn them. No, he forbeared their sin and he asked questions. He drew them out of their hiding with a gracious word. Back to my son. Back to that joy-filled picture. Koi is his name. C-O-Y. That name has deep meaning, deep and rich meaning. His name means out of hiding, out of the woods. That's what koi means. God invites us all to be just like my son in that picture, living for an audience of one, the only one whose approval really matters. So when we live for an audience of one, we can come into the light. We can be totally approved totally exposed and naked before him and yet totally okay and totally approved by him. That's true joy. That's true freedom. And he invites you to step into it. So let me show you how the father sees you. Proverbs 16, six, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Iniquity is atoned for. Atone means to appease, to cover. Check out Romans 3, 10 and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. But a handful of verses later, Romans 23 and 24. You know Romans 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus church there was a perfect one who laid down his perfect life he shed his blood for you jesus willingly did the work that none of us could ever do he walked the cross he endured the torture of men he was killed he did die he was buried he did raise again in victory and he did that for you and he did that for me just like adam and eve we have all tried to cover our shame with our own work we're all hiding behind something but Jesus has covered us with his perfect work. So in Christ, you are seen as you are, not on account of anything that you have done, the good or the bad. Church, in Jesus, you are now covered in the imperishable blood of the precious sacrificial lamb. God covered the sins of his people with the blood of his own son. Now when the king looks upon his people, he sees them through the blood of Christ. When God sees you, he sees the sacrificial blood of his son. When the father sees you, he sees his child and he smiles on you. 
Don't mask over what you're missing with performance. Let Jesus feel what you're missing. Rest in the approval that's already been secured by what Christ has done for you. Your identity is not dependent on what anyone else thinks. Do you believe that? Are you living from his approval? Are you living for it? For some of us, this is a real issue. Very big issue. You're carrying a weight that God has already taken from you. Maybe it's time to lay that down. Maybe you just need today to declare that God has not been the most important relationship to you and now you are turning back to him. Whatever you need, I'm gonna pray that this altar is open for you to pray and lay those burdens down. Let's pray. Father, your approval is eternal. There is no one like you. God, you sent your son, Jesus, the great Passover lamb, and you have passed over our bad works, and you put the good works, you've hung the good works of your son on your children. Lord, let us live in the joy that flows from the truth of the gospel. Let us walk in newness of life today, and let us continue to walk as you protect and preserve your children through the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you. We declare these truths to be so. We pray them in your son's name.